This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. If you get two or three really good partnerships with CPAs, your business will never be the same. But to your point, I don't think most understand what that actually means. And unless the industry continues to evolve, which is obviously like, that's my passion. That's why I do this, because I think there's a better way for advisors and accountants to work together. And I think at the end of the day, it's really, it's, it's better for both of them clearly, but it's really the clients that are better off when you take more of a team approach until you really understand that and buy into that, then it's really hard to train the average advisor. Joining me from sunny California, Anton Anderson. Anton is the CEO at Elite Resource Team, where they teach financial advisors how to differentiate themselves by working with CPAs within an efficient system. This is a topic of major discussion within our industry of how to leverage and utilize CPAs as COIs. So we dive into the three important traits to look for when looking for a CPA. We talk about the dating game between advisors and CPAs, and we dive into understanding if we are making the right decisions to improve our productivity. Anton also digs into the outdated referral model and what they use to replace this model. It's a conversation that will help us better approach accountants as COIs, so something we don't want to miss, especially if you want to grow. So let's get into it with Anton Anderson. This is Bridging the Gap. With your host, Matt Reiner. Anton Anderson, how are you? Welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks so much for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. You doing okay? Life's good, man. I'm doing well. I've got two little kids and a wife who's due any day. So between family life and business life, you know, things are moving. Wow. So wait, uh, how old are your kids now? Four, two, and you know, negative three days or something negative like that. three days. So you may have to actually hop off this podcast I and might. leave. Yes. And if we do, that would be a, a bridging the gap first. And I'd let you do it. Um, <laughs> but we would have to pick it up at the hospital because we kind of keep the conversation flowing. But uh, I'll, and your I'll wife do would everything I can. Yeah, I'm sure my wife would understand. <laughs> well, congratulations, yeah. man. That's super exciting. Thank That's you. awesome. I have a three year old and a nine month old myself. And I, I can imagine I, I can't imagine three because we're not going to do go three. <laughs> So I give you a ton of credit. I didn't think we were either, but here we are. Well, Anton, man, this is going to be a fun conversation. I want to start out, you know, to learn a little bit about your journey, but I'm really stoked to get into learning about your work that you put into a CPA. As I was mentioning before we got on this podcast, I've been talking to a lot of advisors about, you know, everybody's struggling with growth. And CPAs tend to be like the first avenue of growth because that's the that that is actually the the individuals that people tend to trust the most. I just don't think advisors leverage them well enough. And I think that CPAs also have an opportunity maybe within wealth management as well that I want to dive into. But before we do all that, I got two questions to learn about your journey. And you can answer them in whichever order you like. But first is, how did you get here, right? How did you get to where you are? But the but I, I doubt that you were like, when you were 13 years old, you were saying, you know what? I want to go and help advisors be better working workers with CPAs. I, I doubt that that was it. So what did the the 13-year-old Anton Anderson want to do? And then tell us how you went from 13-year-old you to today. All right. So grandpa used to, for Christmas and birthdays, get us Vanguard stock. That's where this all began back, you know, early, early days, way before 13-year-old Anton. So for whatever reason, I found that really interesting. We would sit down and we'd look at the Vanguard stock charts 
And so I subscribed to Money Magazine in high school. Like, you know, we used to watch Wall Street and Broiler Room and all those. So in my head, I wanted to be whatever a stockbroker was, a wealth manager, stockbroker. And early, actually shortly after graduating high school, my first experience was at Smith Barney. So free intern, Smith Barney days, basically given the phone book, start calling, trying to schedule meetings for the big dog in the office. So I have a really good run. I'm the highest intern in the office. And after about a week, the reward is I get to spend five minutes with the big dog in the office. And so I'm walking into his office, a little 19 year old Anthony with a big fro and I get to ask him questions. And so my first question is, if you could name one thing for your success, what would it be? And he sat back and said, huh, if you're really asking, I'll tell you every day I get to this office, I leave all of my morals and values on the elevator. So my dad's a fifth grade, well now retired, but elementary school teacher, Eagle Scout. My mom was in public education. And this idea that he just said he leaves all of his morals and values on the elevator every day he gets to the office, like blew my mind. I thought he was kidding, waiting for him to joke. No, no laughing at all. That, that was the real answer. Okay. So I spend a little more time at Smith Barney, but immediately decide even after that conversation, like this is not the environment I want to be in. The, the big wire house, it's, it's too cutthroat for me. You know, at least at that point, I was feeling like I need to find more of a boutique firm where they have a different, you know, value code. But what I did learn at Smith Barney is out of all the wirehouses, I don't know if you know this or not, Matt, but Smith Barney has the oldest CPA Alliance program. So as an intern, you don't get access to that, but you know who's in the Alliance program and they're the big dogs in the office. So early on, I had it in my head that when I get to the point where I'm a experienced advisor. That's how I'm going to grow my practice through the CPA alliances. I don't even know if I knew what that meant at the time. So fast forward a couple of years, I leave, I go to a smaller boutique firm in San Diego. They work with high net worth clients. That's where I got introduced to the concept of a family office, advanced tax planning, advanced state planning. And they shut their doors in 2008. I go out on my own, start doing the dinner seminars and the, the radio programs and all that traditional stuff. And I just get burnt out one experience after another, where it's just things aren't coming together. I feel like I'm playing battleship, but with my business way too much luck and it wasn't rewarding. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling that excitement fulfilled of what I thought it would have been at the 13 year old Anton. So in my head, I'm now old enough to finally go and start building relationships with CPAs. And I pursue probably half a dozen training programs, some really good ones, learned a ton and after about two years, I find myself in a position where I have two or three really good CPA partnerships and one partnership with a, an attorney and business is good. Like I'm, I'm growing, things are, things are working well. And I start attending a handful of conferences where I'm getting recognized for some of the business that's being done. And I have somebody come up on break and say, Hey man, I, I heard you're doing that through a CPA partner. Like if we were to sit down at lunch, would you mind telling me how you did that? I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'd be, be happy to. It happened two or three more times in the next like two weeks. You know, people would call, hey, I heard about this at the conference. And so finally somebody calls from Arizona. Hey, I'd like to fly to San Diego and sit down with you if you don't mind. Like I'd, I'd pay for an hour of your time if you'd tell me about how you're doing that with the CPA partnerships. Because the whole concept at the time, Matt, was it's not a referral relationship. It's more of a team-based partnership where I'm actually in their office a couple of days a week. We're sitting down with the clients together. I don't really want a name or a phone number. I want them to introduce me and I want to have a joint conversation. 
Mm-hmm. So after this had happened three or four times, somebody offered to pay. It's kind of like, huh, I wonder if there's an opportunity here where I could train advisors, they would pay me for it. And this little like educational instinct or itch I have would be scratched. I mentioned earlier, both my parents were in public education. My sister is now and aunts and uncles were. So it was very intriguing to me that people would be willing to pay me for things that I would teach them. And sure enough, we launched a company in 20, late 2014 called Elite Resource Team. And the basic idea initially was, you know, come on out to San Diego, sit down, pay us for a little bit of time, and we'll teach you how to build partnerships with CPAs. So that was whatever that is, seven, eight years ago. And that's basically what just quickly grew into a full-time training and consulting company. I sold my practice and went full-time in 2015 with Elite Resource Team. And that's kind of where I sit now. I'm the CEO of Elite Resource Team. We've trained over 1,200 advisors through the U.S., primarily U.S., a few in Canada and the U.K. and Mexico. And uh, I love it. It's, it's only gotten better as people have become more comfortable with technology as a result of COVID. Uh, the marketplace has become more complicated as a result of a lot of tax changes and commoditization. So I think we're in this like really perfect little storm where it's not as new as it was five, eight, 10 years ago, where I had to convince CPAs that this was coming. People know it's here. They just don't necessarily know how to do it. And so it creates this beautiful window of opportunity. I love that. That's an awesome, awesome story and journey of where you came from. And and I think that it's so needed, right? And that's just, I, I love how businesses are built based off of like, oh yeah, I'll do this. And then all of a sudden more people come and it's not like you intended to have it be a business and now it's a really successful business. So I'm, I'm curious to start, you work well on doing partnerships and, and you talked about, it's not just like a referral or whatever it may be. There's something deeper into the relationship and, and the, the partnership you have with C- CPAs. I'm curious, and you've mentioned it before, what are three characteristics or key characteristics that you tend to look for in a good partner? Because then I want to dive into, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I've always struggled as an advisor driving business from CPAs. I've always driven business to CPAs, but it's always been hard, <laughs> you know, to have it be mutually beneficial. So let's start with what are the characteristics for a good partner? Because maybe I'm not being a good partner and then we'll dive into that. Okay, good. So you, you're definitely not the only one in this conversation or listening that has driven business to a CPA and hasn't had it returned. More often not than not, that is the experience. What's a good, what are three good characteristics for a partner? So let me first speak to if you're an advisor, what are the three characteristics you're looking for in a CPA? And then I will kind of spin that around and, and, and say, what's an accountant? What should they be looking for an advisor? So there's three really important ones that I would never work with a CPA unless, first of all, they had the right kind of clients. And that means clients that I enjoy working with and I know I can bring value to. For me, that's typically a small business owner that at the end of the day is paying six figures or more in taxes. That's because I like complexity. I like working with lots of uh, different experts and I like bringing value in a unique way. Small business owner paying more than six figures in tax you know, it's much more complicated than like the average retiree or baby boomer. It's just, it's more interesting and there's less people that can help that client. The second thing I'm looking for, so that's the first, they have the right kind of clients. The second thing is they have the right relationship with those clients, meaning the clients actually trust the CPA. They listen to them. They see them as their go-to professional. 
if you just have somebody that's doing 1200 tax returns, you know, primarily 1040s, and they don't really have any depth of a relationship with the CPA, it's, it's not actually all that valuable. You want the individual who says, before I really make any major decision, I, I talk to my CPA. That's the go-to professional. And then the third one would be the CPA or the enrolled agent has the right mindset towards growth. So I don't want to spend my time trying to convince them that their industry is changing or that there's fee compression or that the value of their practice has been going down or that technology is making them outdated. I want them to know all of those things and say, I just don't know what to do about that. Now, there's the AICPA and Focus 2020 and Avantax. And there's a lot of different groups that have been helping me tell this story. Like I said, it's easier to tell it today than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. The thought leaders in their industry have been telling them, you need to get away from just charging per tax return or charging per hour. You should introduce advisory services. You should introduce client service levels. So all of these ideas now are more widely accepted. The challenge is just how do I actually do that? I'm busy. I'm burnt out. My clients don't feel like they're the right clients. They don't pay me enough. I feel stuck. You know, I'm kind of stuck on that hamster wheel and I'm on a, I'm in a grind and I'm burnt out. So the right type of clients, the right client relationships and the right attitude to change. So if the CPA has all three of those things, then I'm excited about the potential relationship. And then for the advisors listening, what should the accountant be looking for in an advisor or what makes a good advisor partnership? First of all, they need to be focused not on the transaction. They need to be focused on the relationship. And as much as advisors would say, oh, of course, like I prioritize the relationship, mm, 95% don't. They're focused on the golden egg rather than the goose. They get impatient. They go right for the sale. They talk about money too quickly. They, they, they lead with a referral rather than trying to actually understand what the CPA's problem is. Nine times out of 10, they don't need more referrals. They're busy. They're burnt out. They don't need your $500 tax return. They need some foundational help in changing the way they deliver value to their clients. Okay. So don't focus on the transaction, focus on the relationship. The second thing I would say makes a good advisor is take your advisor hat off. Don't just look for where can I manage the money or where can I sell the insurance, but rather focus on how can I bring value to this accountant and how can I bring value to their client? Sometimes that might be insurance or asset management, but sometimes it might just be, you need to help them get an estate in order. You need to help them put a buy-sell agreement in place. You need to help them do a business valuation. You need to help to do some cost segregation. There's a lot of strategies that might not necessarily be your historic bread or butter, but if it brings value to the relationship, then you need to prioritize it. That's the second one I would say. And then the third one in order to be a good partner as an advisor to an accountant would be look at the relationship from their perspective and do enough homework to understand what they need. It's kind of like that old adage of, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. You need to understand what's going on in their industry. You need to understand what the day-to-day -day work is like. You need to understand what it's like to work 80 hours a week, three times a year during the major tax seasons, and take home 80 or 90 grand. 
they need to understand that it's a different world. It's kind of like that uh, book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. You know, there's a fundamental difference between the two. And you need to understand them if you want to be a good partner. I think that that's interesting because, you know, when I think about it, as I listen to you talk, I, I think about the industry maybe having, I think, the general wrong approach to relationships with the CPA. And I, because I, in some instances, it's like, I think advisors look at it and say, the CPA has all these clients, great relationships. Those clients have assets. They need a wealth management advice. So why doesn't the CPA want to refer you know, them to me? Whereas what you're saying and alluding to is that the, the CPA knows that, but there's really no value for them to refer them to you, right? There's value to the advisor to refer to the CPA because it's like, here's another service I'm helping you find. Like I'm helping add value. But the, the CPA, because they work so long, they don't get paid a ton. It's like, why am I going to go out of my way to recommend something as another service? And I don't even get an increase in, in pay. Like, what good is it for me? And so it's like, it, it is that idea of like putting yourself in the other person's shoes, which we are all very human hard. It's hard to do uh, in that way. And, and I love this idea of, is it the right client, everything of that nature? But it also seems to me that the traditional advisor, I think it, as, I, as you were talking, I was like, maybe only like 10% of advisors are actually really good candidates to be partners with CPAs because it's like you do deep work. Is that fair to say? Because the general advisor that's just doing wealth management or financial planning, like it's probably not a good candidate to be a partner with CPA. Am, am, I, am I wrong there, you think? I don't think you're tremendously wrong. No. Um, I think... I think most advisors are wired in a way or have been trained in a way that they have a outdated hat on. And unless they get rid of that outdated hat or that outdated mindset, it, they'll really struggle with having a good strategic partnership with a CPA. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be any, you know, any work back and forth or any referrals that are given, but it's so far from the potential of a good partnership. If you get two or three really good partnerships with CPAs, your business will never be the same. But to your point, I don't think most understand what that actually means. And unless the industry continues to evolve, which is obviously like, that's my passion. That's why I do this because I think there's a better way for advisors and accountants to work together. And I think at the end of the day, it's really, it's, it's better for both of them clearly, but it's really the clients that are better off when you take more of a team approach until you really understand that and buy into that, then it's really hard to train the average advisor. Yeah, it's a challenge. What, so what does the, so paint me this picture, a successful advisor CPA relationship. Because I, I mean, again, I think I have the complete wrong picture of it. That's why this is so eye-opening to me. This is, in, this is incredible. Paint me, what does that relationship look like? Because today it's like, oh, I'll just refer you over to this accountant. They'll take care of you. I know the guy. I took him out to breakfast, lunch. We played golf together. We're good. So go over to him. He's good. What in your mind or from what you're experiencing, what does that relationship look like? I mean, are they doing joint meetings? Like how does the, how does the accountant learn what the advisor can do? Are they like brainstorming on clients? Are they looking at client lists? Like what is that? I know that this could be a whole nother podcast, but what does that relationship look like in a visual way? Paint that picture. Yeah. Good, good, really good question. So what you're describing with the, like, we'll call it the referral relationship. You take them for a round of golf, you, you know, trade clients here and there. We always refer to that as the outdated referral model. 
you know, and this is just traditional thinking of how the human brain works. You want to try to paint things as extremes, right? You have black, white, you have things that are like Apple versus Mac, or you have companies that pin each other against one another. So the outdated referral model is what we like to refer to as the way things used to be done. It never really worked that well to begin with, to be honest with you, but it's certainly not the way things are going to be done in the future. What we like to describe is the team-based model. The team-based model is the advisor and the accountant coming together to form a proactive planning team. That proactive planning team sit down. They have a conversation with a client together to explain why they've formed this proactive planning team because they realize that their clients, especially their best clients, prefer proactive and holistic planning. Now they have their own area of expertise, right? The advisor has their own, whether it's wealth management or insurance or both, the accountant has their own area of expertise. And then anything beyond their combined area of expertise, we encourage people to leverage what's called a virtual family office. So basically let's call it 70 to 80% of clients needs are going to be covered internally by those two professionals. But anytime something comes up, that's outside of their area of expertise. Don't say, Oh, we don't do that. Good luck. Or, Hey, here's a name and a phone number. Call, call them to put your, you know, qualified plan in place or whatever it is. Rather say, you know what? We've got somebody on our team that can help get this done. What we're going to do is have a preliminary conversation with them about your current circumstance. We're going to find out a little bit about kind of the pros and cons in this situation. And then we will introduce you to them and hold your hand every step of the way. So it truly is proactive and holistic planning, not just in the wealth management space or the insurance space, but tax planning, legal services, and business advisory. And at the end of the day, I might be the expert that gets it done, or I might have to bring in somebody from my virtual family office. Either way, the client is better served. And they're actually willing to pay for that proactive planning process. So let me ask this, because this is where my conversations have gone recently. Why does the advisors usually need CPAs because tax accounting is difficult and there hasn't really been innovation in that side of it? But there has been a ton of innovation on investment management, you know, with robo advisors and TAMPs and all that type of stuff. What is keeping CPAs from just doing wealth management on their own? Why don't they just do wealth management on their own and increase their income from that way? Yeah, and, and some are. You, you know, you see an Invantax or HDVest that have been encouraging that more and more. Some are. I don't think they're doing it nearly as well as they would if they found a really good experienced wealth manager to partner with or an insurance professional to partner with. I think ultimately what you end up having when you have an accountant that gets securities license or insurance license is like a good high school quarterback. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but the reality is, Matt, how many, how many high school players play baseball, football, you know, basketball, there's a handful, Mm -hmm. you know, how many college athletes play three sports less, how many pros actually play in more than one league? Like it's almost unheard of, right? Mm. Because that level of professionalism, when you want to play the game at the top level, it takes everything you have. So if you want to be a really good CPA that's doing good tax planning, has good relationships with your clients, you really shouldn't be dabbling in 
or even spending time with wealth management or insurance. Like you should be focused on building deep relationships with your clients and your area of expertise. And then everything outside of that, you should find just really good partners to work with, not refer to, but truly form a team with, and then bring your client into your team or into your ecosystem. So diving into that, right? Because I, I want to go down, uh, I want to move away from like the traditional referral relationship and dig into this one is saying, okay, so they've developed a proactive planning team, right? We've, dire- we've developed a proactive planning team, advise- wealth manager, accountant, we're going forward. What's the next step? Are we going through the accountant's list of clients? Are we going through the advisor's list of clients? Are we going through everybody? Sure. Are we identifying some or others? Like, and, and, and then what does that arrangement look like? Is there fee sharing as well? Let's talk through a little bit of, of, of that picture as well. Yeah, sure. So typically when the partnerships formed, the practice planning team comes together, we're going to start with the CPA's client base. That's typical. Now, if I, as an advisor and I, I, we train them to do this, but you start asking clients and prospects about their CPA relationships. If I have a client that's unhappy or needs a new CPA, of course, I'm going to bring them into our partnership, but typically we're going to start with analyzing the CPA's book of business. And here's why, because as you said earlier on this, in this discussion, they are the trusted professional. They have the trust of the client. So there's, it's an easier discussion to begin with. And typically somebody that's, they've been charging, let's say $800 for a tax return. There's so much more value that they could be bringing to that client. And the client is happy to pay for it. If the CPA can actually explain what they're going to do and how it benefits them. So the opportunity in my opinion is actually help the CPAs focus more on their A clients make B clients, a clients, and then help them to strategically either let go of fire or hire somebody else to handle the C D F everybody else. So now we get it down to the core clients. They trust, they respect you. They're the right kind of clients. They've got moving pieces. They would be willing to pay for more if you were to bring more value to them. And then working together, we can sit down with each of those clients and have a planned conversation about why we've formed a proactive planning team, how we're going to bring them more proactive and holistic planning. And then we lead them through a diagnostic to actually start uncovering where are the areas of opportunity. Mm. Step by step, we go through each planning phase with that client. And if you got a good client with a lot of moving pieces, I mean, you're looking at six to 12 months of planning opportunities there. You know, a lot of it gets into the business planning, succession planning, estate planning, tax planning, and all of those are what lead to, I like to say kind of the AUM and the insurance just tend to come along for the ride. Because if you can help the CPA who has to trust the client, bring more value to that client, what are they going to go with a competitor for like 0.25 basis points less or something? Like, no, I mean, you have such a unique value proposition that when you position it as a team, the trust is there. They, 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 the, the AUM, the insurance comes along for the ride. Now do, now do advisors, it's like a dating, it's a dating ring. Do advisors and yeah. CPAs have multiple planning teams, proactive planning teams, or is it just like one proactive planning team and that's it? Or do we have multiple, are we dating <laughs> multiple parties here? Fair enough. So 
because this is, if, if I'm the advisor, this is my model, this is my team, I'm bringing the accountant into my world, I am that relationship for them. Now, initially, they're not going to walk from the half dozen advisors that are already sending them referrals. Like they're, they're not going to want to upset that apple cart because every CPA already has a couple of referral partnerships, you know? So I don't need an exclusive relationship at the beginning, but any client I speak to or I take through my process and I introduce to my VFO with the CPA, ultimately the business is coming to me. If I'm an advisor, I likely have two or three proactive planning teams with CPAs. So ideally the CPA has one, I'm their advisor. Ideally I have two or three. I love this. This is, <laughs> this is like a day. I don't know why it feels like we're going through a day because we've identified, if I, if I go back and I look at this conversation, we figured out how to date, how to identify the right accountant and the right advisor, right? They have the right clients, they have the right relationship to so like swipe right if they have the right clients, if they have the right attitude, swipe left if they don't. And everybody's, every advisor has different types of clients. So there's a lot of, the pool's yep. big. Yep. But then we've talked about how to work with them. So how do, how do, you, how do you date? and get you know married into this partnership. And now it's a matter of how do you flourish, right? So we've gone through the initial stages of the proactive planning team. And we get down to, you know, it's now 24 months. How do we keep this thing from being stale, right? How do we, you know, sure. we've gone through this big planning, we've added the value, and then what? Yeah. Yeah. So we call that maintain. How do you, how do you make sure in 12 to 24 months, you're not out looking for like another new CPA, but rather you've formed some really good partnerships. Now you're just maintaining those partnerships. And the reality is, first of all, most CPAs have more clients than they have time to bring value to. So let's say a CPA has 500 clients. Let's say 150 of them are potential candidates for truly advanced planning or, or proactive, you know, holistic planning where we'd sit down and work with them. That's 150. Let's say two thirds of those are interested in actually doing that. That's a hundred. That's a lot of meetings and conversations. So you're already talking about years worth of work right there. But what happens is you do really good work for a good client. That's unique. They're not getting elsewhere from their other CPA or their other advisor. They share that story. So that's where the organic growth starts to come in, right? You get the small business owners that are sharing this concept with their other buddies. So you start getting growth coming through. And the reality is, even if you didn't get the organic growth, by the, end, by the time you get to the end of that list of 100 potential clients, client 100 or client one out of those 100 now has a life change. Business owners, you know, I mean, you and I look at this, look at our lives. Like you have a, a nine-month-old and a three-year-old. And I'm sure your business has changed in the last couple of years. Like we continue to grow, we acquire, we sell, we bring on business partners, we buy out partners, we move states, we have children. Things are always changing. So it's not a static environment when you're working with clients that are either business owners or high net worth individuals. So things are always moving. And the opportunity actually is, it continues to evolve as the relationship does. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, especially with the clients that are serving are being served in this kind of relationship, it, it would it's always evolving, right? There's always new things coming down that need to be analyzed, and then you do that for 100 clients. That's a lot of time. Now, I want to mm-hmm. uh, before I let you go because I, I I know your wife is is due any minute. I and I need to get the final <laughs> two questions out, but before I do, I want to ask one other question because I, and I want to shift gears for a second because I found it interesting. 
that you've also created, you know, your own six tactics to use for utilizing for productivity, focus and mood in the office. I'm, I'm, I mean, just, let's just use that as a headline for an article or a book. I don't care. I'm intrigued. Like, don't give me all six because I want people to come and find them from you. But can you give us like two or three to to help with these things? I, I mean, especially productivity and maybe mood. I, I don't know. Shannon would would know if I'm moody or not. But let's. I want to talk about some of those. Yeah, sure. Yeah, happy to. And I also am conscious of the fact that you asked earlier, how do we split fees or revenue with the CPA? And I didn't mean to avoid that. I actually just kind of forgot. So I'm happy to circle back to that as well in a minute as far as productivity. So one of the realizations I had after training, what it was probably around advisor 800 or so was the scripts work, the email templates work, the, the model works, but some were having tremendous success and others just weren't at all. And it just became more and more obvious that the, the X factor, if you will, is more around the decisions, the mindset, the habits. And so if you don't address those things, then they become these like invisible ceilings on your success has been, you know, my experience and my, my opinion on this. So in terms of productivity, I think we need to just be honest that there really is no dividing wall between our personal lives and our business lives, at least for small business owners, like what I do and how I feel affects how I run my business every day. So I'm a big fan of treating myself like an athlete would treat themselves, meaning I'm, I'm running a small business and I'm trying to perform the best I can every day. The advisors or the accountants that we're training are the same. So what are, what am I eating? What are the decisions I'm making in terms of exercise? How am I sleeping? And am I actually tracking all of those variables? And once you start tracking them, you realize, holy cow. The more I track them and the better those things get, the better the results of my business are. No question about it. So if we're specifically talking about tactics, you know, I like a tool called an aura ring for sleep tracking. You start to see a lot of really good patterns showing up when you're tracking your sleep and the decisions you're making the following days. I'm a huge fan of having just a really good work environment. I like standing desks. I like natural light. I like places where you enjoy being. So when you're there, you just feel good. Like you're in the zone, just like an athlete gets in the zone. And I like surrounding yourself with really good people you enjoy working with. So that's probably one of the key things on the accountant partners. Even if they had the right clients, the clients had the right relationship with the CPA and the CPA had the right mindset towards change. I'd also want to make sure I really enjoy working with them. Hmm. You You know, you line a handful of those things up you start becoming pretty powerful. I love that. I love that. That's great. That is great. Well, before we get to the final two questions, let, let's do circle back on that last question that we didn't get to uh, on the fee cut because, or the fee share, because I'm sure that's something that people want to know. You know, who pays the tab when you go out on a date, right? With this situation. Because sure. um, yeah. I've created this into a whole dating podcast, basically. But uh, <laughs> who, how does the fee split? Like, is it, how's it shared? How do we, each side make money and benefit on this side? Yep. So the first thing is I described earlier the proactive planning team and sitting down and leading the client through a proactive planning process. We don't do that for free. We're charging the client for that plot process. It's, it's planning, it's discussions, it's, it's exploring. That is typically billed by the CPA. 
and it's, it ranges, I mean, anywhere from 250 a month to, we have a couple partnerships that will charge up to 5,000 a month. It just depends on how often you're meeting and what type of value you're bringing to that relationship. So usually that planning fee, whether or not we split it is going to be dictated by whether or not we're splitting insurance commissions and securities and or securities. So if the CPA is already insurance licensed, they want to split, I'm going to split 50-50 of profit. So after any expenses, and I'm also going to then expect 50% of the proactive planning fees. If they are not insurance licensed, then they're going to keep 100% of the proactive planning fee. I'm going to keep 100% of the insurance business. The securities business, I'm not going to split 50-50 because I think it's a little bit more time intensive. There's more continued. So if the CPA is licensed or they're in a state that allows a solicitor's arrangement, I'm usually going to look at a one-third, two-third split. So I'm going to keep two-third myself. They're going to get a third. Um, that's again, if I do that, then I'm taking half of the proactive planning fees. And then the other revenue that is generated is the any type of revenue share from an expert in my virtual family office. So I used the example earlier. If we have a business owner and they don't have a buy-sell agreement, we're going to do a business valuation. That business valuation is going to be done by an expert that's going to charge a fee. I'm going to get a piece of that fee. Let's call it 25%. So if it's $10,000 and it's $2,500, I'm going to share half of that with the CPA. Mm. I'm going to keep half of that myself. If I'm allowed to do that from a compliance perspective, we got a lot of guys at Ameriprise, New York Life, you know, those types of firms that they're not allowed to either charge, either do a revenue share, or they're not allowed to do essentially participate in what they would refer to as a referral fee, in which case they're going to keep the securities, they're going to keep the insurance, the CPA keeps the other stuff. So there's a lot of flexibility in terms of how you split the revenue. It really just needs to be looked at, first of all, as a holistic conversation, not just a one-off transaction. And also based on what the CPA is allowed to do from a license perspective and what the advisor is allowed to do from a compliance perspective. Super interesting. Really, really intriguing, man. I, I haven't really talked to anybody that has such a focus on this like you do. And it's it's just in it's refreshing and eye-opening. So I, I, I'm really, really grateful for you sharing this insight. This has been a really educational session and I appreciate it. But before I let you go, I can't let you go without answering my two questions that I always ask on Bridging the Gap. And the first is that these conversations are all about learning. I love to learn. I love to learn from smarter people than me, like yourself. And one of the ways I like to learn is read books that other smart people are reading. So I'd love to know, what's one of those books out there that you re you've read or you're reading that you think everybody should read? Yes. So if I go back to the Smith Barney days, I was lucky enough to meet a business mentor and very successful gentleman named Alan Newman. I woke up the day after meeting him and he had left three books on my doorstep and all three were good, but one of which was Stephen Covey's seven habits. It was the first time I had read something like that. And partly because probably the position I was at in my life, I was 19, but also just because of how impactful that book is, that would have to probably be that, that, that book, it comes to mind right off, you know, Stephen Covey's seven habits. Um, I love that one. More so recently, David Goggins Can't Hurt Me, super interesting book, kind of gets me fired up from, you know, going back to what I made the analogy earlier of an, of an athlete. So that one's from a newer perspective. That one, that one gets me going. And 
Was that the, that, was that the question? The book? That's good. I actually got David Goggins right here. And it's one of my next up books here. And Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. I mean, unbelievable. Must read as well. So the last question I ask, and this comes from Barron's, is I always like to ask, what's one piece of actionable advice that you think everybody should take away from our conversation here today? Just one piece of actionable advice. Good question. So of actionable advice, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction than my mind was initially thinking there. I, the direction I would go is this. You know, you have a couple of young kids. I have young kids. I've been thinking about this more recently. What am I building? What is the legacy ultimately that I'm building? And I think in our industry, we have a good opportunity to make, to build like a good lifestyle or be comfortable. But more so than that, I think we also are in the midst of some significant industry shifts between, of course, the financial industry, but also the accounting space. And I think we have an opportunity to build something truly unique valuable and kind of lead the direction in a new way that partnerships are formed and clients are served. So that's kind of the, you know, the bigger picture question, just from a legacy perspective of what am I building? And is there a way where I can bring more value to clients? Yeah. I love that. What is your legacy and how do we do more for our clients? Anton Anderson, man, you uh, have been amazing. Really super appreciative. I've learned a lot. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and continuing to follow on you. And I'm sure everybody else on the podcast is as well. So what is the best way for all of us to continue following all of your great progress and success and stay in touch with you? Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. So Elite Resource Team is the name of my company and elitert.com is you know our website if anyone's interested in connecting or learning more about anything i discussed info at elitert.com is where i would direct them and the feelings are mutual i respect all of the work you've done and all the value you bring to our industry and you know i've enjoyed the the connection here and look forward to continuing to stay up to date on what you're what you're working on you're a good, man. I appreciate those good words and I appreciate your time here and uh, best of luck on the birth of the new one. Best of luck on raising three. Yeah, and uh, I'm super excited for you and your wife and your growing family. And thank you again for your time and we'll stay in touch, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 